COVID is not over. Living in fear should be. Well, living in fear should have been over from the very beginning. But there are so many people who are so desperate for you to live in fear. It's as if they're looking for coronavirus to pop up so they can go, ha ha, told you, showed you. Oh, you thought you were out of the out of the woods. You thought we came out of the tunnel. Well, well, look what happened to you. Look what happened to you. It's a sickness, really. It's just a flat out disease of a mind. Really and truly, and I want to break it down for you in the parts where this is happening. Some of the most radical conversations about people on coronavirus who are desperate to continue to push a lie that you're, you're going to die, you're going to kill grandma, and most importantly, well, we can't get back to life as it was. That's what the Chicago's Teachers Union is saying. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today, 833, got Tony, 833-468-8669. The Chicago's Teachers Union, Chicago Teachers Union, better said, Tony, they want to delay opening high schools because now they want vaccines for students and families. And families. They don't want to send teachers back. They want teachers to get paid without having to show up. And then they want it for next year. The teachers union must be crushed. Because the teachers union believes that the only thing that matters is the teacher. When I, of course, believe that what matters is the parent. What does the parent need? What is the role of the parent within school, within education? And that has to be a massive role because without it, you really have nothing. They had set a date of of like mid-April to go back. But the Chicago Teachers Union is like, no, the public school said mid-April. And the Teachers Union is like, nah, not going to do that. We've got new variants. New variants, I tell you. B117. What's B117? Ah, who who really cares? It's a new variant. Hide under the bed. Just make sure the direct deposit works. That's a teachers union. Now, they can deny it and they can yell at me all they want. What does it matter? We're right and they're wrong. If they're claiming that this is about the safety of their teachers, this isn't about the safety of your teachers. This is about getting paid for not having to do the work. Don't lie to us. You think the parent doesn't matter. You think the parent should be this level of inconvenience. I don't think the parent should pay property taxes if this is the road we're going down. I will tell you, and I've said from from personal experience, I think my kids have done great in the world of virtual, but they're not totally virtual. They're one day on, one day off, right? They split the school up. And I will tell you that outside of sending kids back to school, I thought it was the most rational. I didn't get everything I wanted. Somebody else didn't get everything they wanted, but okay. But we know 
in my family that we have been able to thrive in this experience because my wife is able to stay home. We, the, the, the rule in our house is, is, is very, very simple. We, we do what we do. Certainly, there, there's a, a love for what I do, but there's also a, an economics at play. If my wife could make double the money I make, I'll stay home. Sorry, radio. Got to go. I have children to raise because we should, we should all be clear with each other. I love what I get to do. You better believe my kids are more important. Your kids are more important than this show. You know it. That's that's the correct answer, by the way. It's not that I don't love doing the show. It's not that you don't love being a part of the show. It's that in the at the end of the day, when we gotta rank things, <laughs> kids come higher. It's just the way it is. I accept this, and I still love you for it. Dang it! But of course. But we made the decision long ago that one of us has to stay home. And one of us has to stay home because we think it's better for how we want our kids to be raised. And we have made sacrifices for it. And we have lost out on financial opportunity for it and didn't go on as many vacations or on any vacations for quite a few years for it. And we, what we think we've got is, is, is a much better situation. Certainly in this situation, it has worked out tremendously. The people who have not been able to stay at home or the people who had to stay at home and weren't able to get back to work and then had to deal with the economic impact. That's been rough. I feel for them in a huge way. I consider myself rather fortunate in the, in the world that, that, that we set up. It works for this, for this scenario. Teachers unions don't care about those teachers. I mean, about those parents. And they don't care about the kids. That's obvious. And you could say to me, well, Tony, that's not true of all teachers unions, and I'll agree. But it's true of Chicago, and it's true of Los Angeles, and it's true of other parts of California, it's true of uh, counties in Virginia, it's true of what's going on in places in New York. It's just fact. Then you have the American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten. Randy Weingarten said one of the craziest things I have ever heard. She's the head of the American Federation of Teachers. She's doing an interview with the Jerusalem Post. And when she was asked about parents critical of the teachers' resistance, of the union's resistance to school opening, she says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about American Jews. And then you're like, I'm sorry, what the hell is this? This is about COVID. This is about reopening. This is about getting kids back in the classroom. This is about the rights of parents, which I, it's one of the reasons I believe in school choice. I fundamentally believe in the right of the parent to be able to make the decision that is best for their child and the education for their child and not one size fits all education. So I always favor the parents and their rights. What in the world does Judaism, what, how does this even play in? Randy Weingarten, who is Jewish, by the way. And in case you didn't know, so am I. American Jews, she says, are now part of the ownership class. What? Producer Ari, you're Jewish. Do you know what any of this means? Uh, no. Yeah, it's correct. Jews, she says, were immigrants from somewhere else, and they needed the right to have public education, and they needed power to have enough income and wealth for their families that they could put their kids through college and their kids could do better than they have done. 
What I hear when I hear that question, meaning getting kids back to school, is that those who are in the ownership class now want to take that ladder of opportunity away from those who do not have it. Um, on behalf of producer Ari and I, we are willing to trade Randy Weingarten to anybody who would like her. Um, uh, we, we have made a decision that this is simply not what we want as representative of Judaism, and we are willing to make a deal. So, uh, so, so uh, come on, uh, go through the attic and see what you have to trade for one Randy Weingarten. We are very happy to get rid of her. What the hell is she talking about? Honestly, the, 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 the statement rides so much that anti-Semitic line. Let me say it a little differently and tell me if it's not the same. Oh, sure. Once you get a couple shekels in your pocket, look at you, Mr. Tough Guy. Tell me that's not what she said. It's an insane thought. Why? Because nobody's having that thought. Nobody's, nobody, nobody is discussing anything like this. They're saying that kids need to be in schools because they are falling behind. Parents need their kids in schools because they are, need to make sure their kids are where they're supposed to be to get the education that's best because parents, you know, want schools to do the job. They're desperate for schools to do the job. And what the schools are saying is that you're not important. What's important is that you meet every one of our absolutely radical and stringent conditions. And then we change the conditions. We move the goalposts when you get too close to ensure that our teachers have the best life possible and still keep getting paid. None of them took a pay cut. No, the parents took pay cuts. No teacher is taking a pay cut. No township is going to take a property tax pay cut. They will increase property taxes because, you know, they didn't have the income from all the other businesses that were forced to close. And, well, city has to run. How in the world did Jews get into this mix? It's, it's, it's the craziest thing ever. Crazy. How desperate people are to look for a level of blame or look for a level of hate. This takes us to something happening in my beloved Indianapolis, which just hosted the NCAA March Madness Tournament and the Final Four, uh, Baylor over Gonzaga, and it's all done. Uh, my, I, I, I did fair in my bracket. I didn't do great in my bracket. But in Indianapolis, there is an institution called St. Elmo's. It's a steakhouse. Oddly enough, it's a steakhouse known for a shrimp cocktail. The, the cocktail sauce at St. Elmo's is this remarkable horseradishy mix of, 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 of love and of spice and of clearing the sinuses, and it's, it's legendary. And once you get past the first or second bite, it is quite delicious. And they do a lovely steak, and it's really the experience of the place. It's where Peyton Manning and like the entire offensive line would go after a game during the heyday of, of, of the Colts. It's legend is St. Elmo's and St. Elmo's. Uh, they, 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 they now have uh, sauces. They, they now have a, a whole host of things, right? That they sell and they've got out there. They've got their own uh, bourbon. It's a, it's a, a mixed kind of bourbon thing. They're, they're doing just great. And they were on uh, CBS this morning. 
They were on CBS this morning talking about how uh, things are, are uh, you know, coming back and said it's not that we're at the end of the tunnel. This, according to the president of the restaurant group, a guy by the name of Craig Hughes, who I, I, know, I know personally and I like. He says it's not at the end of the tunnel. We're out of the tunnel, meaning seeing things coming back. Well, at St. Elmo's. They had to close because nine employees tested positive for COVID-19. And one of those employees died. And the local newspaper here, the Indianapolis Star, part of the USA Today network, which is part of the woke network of just absolute insanity and doing very little actual reporting. They put out an op-ed saying it's time for a reckoning for St. Elmo's. Oh, they said everything was going to be fine. Everything was going to be great. Oh, look, look what happened. It's not a safe workplace. And they said they're going to go through a, a thorough cleaning. And as if, but we already know that COVID doesn't really come from touching surfaces. Well, first, of course, they said they're going to do a thorough cleaning. What are they going to say? We're going to have five inmates come over, defecate on the floors. We're going to smear it all over the place with a used Swiffer wet jet. And then people are going to eat and enjoy. What do you think they're going to say? This op-ed attacks them for saying, oh, you thought we were out of the woods, but oh, you had nine cases and someone died because of you. Honestly, I'm saying that when I read it, what I read was an opinion editor accusing the owner of St. Elmo's of murder. I thought it was one of the most despicable op-eds I had ever read in my entire life, but perfectly on, on target for those people who are desperate for you to live in fear. The whole city was open. This restaurant had nine cases. The Marion County Health Department, Marion County is the county where, Saint, is where Indianapolis is located. They worked with St. Elmo's. They said St. Elmo's could reopen. Now are you telling me that the Marion County Health Department and the woman who leads that group, Dr. Virginia Kane, are liars? If it wasn't safe, would they say you could open? They followed every rule. They followed every regulation, but it happened. Because it can happen, and it might very well happen again. The whole city was open. It didn't happen at 17 places, and it unfortunately happened here. And by the way, it would have unfortunately happened if it took place at Rick's Tacos. Oh, there, there isn't a Rick's Tacos. I'm just naming, uh, making up a place to prove the point. The idea that we're, oh, look, you said we're out of the tunnel, but you can't even keep your employees safe. It is so despicable and low rent of a concept. It's a virus, guys, and some people are going to get it. And yes, some people in close quarters may actually pass it around. And I don't know if those people were vaccinated, and I don't know if those people did this, that, or the other, or they just got unlucky, because plenty of people who get the vaccine can still get it. Remember, it's only 95% in terms of the efficacy. So people can still get COVID if they get it. That someone passed away is awful. But I don't know what level of comorbidities they may have had, and neither does anybody else. But here is what used to be a great newspaper, basically accusing a restaurant owner and a restaurant group of murder, as I see it, Because it's about selling the fear. 
It's exa- what do you think the Chicago's teachers union is doing? What do you think Randy Weingarten is doing aside from being a, I don't know, anti-Semitic freak show? We live in a world with coronavirus and it's never going to go away. It's always going to be with us. And we have vaccines and we have therapeutics and we have to get on with our lives. And people will do such a thing of their own free will. Yet we have this continuing number of people, pseudo-intellectuals, who want us to live in fear and don't think we should have the rights to choose our own course. Those people are wrong. Now the teacher's union has to be broken. It's a lot easier just not to buy a newspaper anymore. I'm Tony Katz. So I'm technically still on vacation. I'm just very bad at doing vacation. You are. I'm terrible at it. Always. I, I, I easily could have taken uh, the day off. Easily. Your first day of vacation, you texted me and said, hey, I can come back tomorrow if this thing develops into a story. Right? I am. I, I, this, is just, this is just how I, I, I operate. But I will tell you that I, I saw something strange. And it's not the first time I've seen it. I'm going to share it in 30 seconds. And then you tell me what it means. I spent a long weekend in Chicago. Now, I live in Indianapolis, of course, which is a sensational food town. And I go to Chicago because it's a sensational food town. And they had a whole Monet exhibit at the, uh, at the Art Institute there, which was, was gorgeous. It was spectacular. Claude Monet. Amazing. And what do I see? But buildings going up, not 10 stories or 15 stories, 90 stories, apartments and office and this and that, and not one, but multiples. And the last time I was in New York, so a year and a half ago, there were buildings going up everywhere. These are places that are run poorly, taxed excessively, people lose their Second Amendment rights and other rights, and have far left, if not just straight-out socialists running them. How are they still growing? We hear about people leaving California and leaving these leftist states, but look at what's getting built. How do these two things jive? I'm looking for an answer to the question, because right now I only have theories, and what I'd like is something definitive. You can email me, Tony at TonyCats.com or Twitter at Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. So there's been a lot of wokeness in America. United Airlines, Coca-Cola, Delta, Southwest, a lot having to do with Georgia's uh, laws on voting, which are completely fine and not in any way racist. And anyone who says otherwise is just lying to you. I mean, it's just flat out lying to you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you. And, of course, Major League Baseball moved itself out. Uh, They went from Atlanta to Denver because they so oppose the, the voting rules that now say you can't hand somebody a bottle of water. Meanwhile... You've got people claiming, wait, we didn't want Major League Baseball to pull the All-Star game out. This is going to cost Atlanta millions of dollars. Never mind the fact that the woke people drove uh, Major League Baseball to take the All-Star game out of a city that was 51% black and move it into a city that's 76% white. Denver, Colorado. I mean, it's just glorious. How the, the woke backfire that's taking place here. 
And then you have Stacey Abrams saying, I didn't want this. And Major League Baseball saying, you absolutely wanted this. As a matter of fact, you pressured us to do this. Oh, it's so terrific. But the question is, what do you do about it? I'm going to get into that, but let me bring in Guy Relford right now. He's known as uh, the gun guy on 93.1 FM WIBC in Indianapolis. He is the man behind the 2A project. He is a Second Amendment attorney in Indiana. And as we've been going over, and of course you've heard him here, he fills in for me from time to time. Uh, You, of course, heard uh, President Biden today and the Attorney General Merrick Garland talking about... um, Uh, The Second Amendment talking about where we have to do something about what they call gun violence, uh, making a claim that this is now a public health crisis. And you heard him speak specifically about things like ghost guns and talk about red flag laws. At one moment, I believe Merrick Garland supposedly said that an AR-15 is a concealable weapon. I want to break this down into its pieces, uh, Guy Ralford. First, in, in, the, in the overall of what you heard or, or saw today or what you've seen of what President Biden is putting forward, is anything surprising here in, in what it is they're doing? Or is there something here even more radical than what the political left usually pushes forward? No, I think what was announced today is pretty much what we expected and um, I don't I wouldn't call any of it a relief, but what Biden did do, and I think he probably had a lot of guidance and direction on this from the Department of Justice, is he does seem to be focused on things that are regulatory in nature, not legislative in nature. So he's not trying to do things uh, that would be usurping the legislative power of Congress. For instance, the the gun, the ghost gun issue, for instance, um, there's a regulatory interpretation that says um, that, a, that a gun is, that is not fully completed up to 80 percent um, and not above, um, that's not considered a firearm. And you can manufacture your own firearms uh, at home without any kind of a license or without the need to register or serialize them as long as that's for personal use only. So people can buy a 80 percent complete uh, lower on a firearm, essentially the frame of a firearm, they can finish the manufacturing at home. And if that's for personal use only under ATF regulations, they don't have to put a serial number on it. They don't have to register it. So that's the reference to ghost guns. But because that issue arose through regulatory interpretation, um, it's not a usurpation of the legislative function to, to say, well, we're going to re-examine that regulatory structure and do something to where you can't necessarily build a gun yourself at home and not put a serial number on it. That's the issue with ghost guns. Now, the other part Quote of this, and, and I, and I want to get into, you know, that it's regulatory in nature, not le- le- not a, a conversation of legislation. Joe Biden said very clearly, you could just go to a gun show and buy a gun, no background check. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, we hear that all the time. This so-called gun show loophole, there, there's no such thing. There's literally no such thing as a gun show loophole. The issue is that uh, any federal firearms licensee, a retailer, or someone engaged in the business of buying and selling guns, they have to do background checks on every single transaction, whether they're at a gun show or um, selling on the Internet or uh, working out of a brick-and-mortar store. Um, What's referred to as the so-called gun show loophole 
is that in some states, including Indiana here where, where I am and where you broadcast from, um, there's not a requirement for a background check as to, between private individuals. However, it's not completely unregulated. It's a felony if I sell a gun knowing uh, that the person I'm selling it to um, cannot buy his own gun from a retailer. So, And there are several other restrictions. I can't sell a gun across state lines, um, so on and so forth. So it's not unregulated. It's There's no loophole specific to gun shows, but we certainly hear that a lot. Um, and, and, you know, the other things that he announced today, um, they're, they're by and large uh, issues that do not result in, in violence. They don't result in, in people getting hurt. They're largely focused on law-abiding gun owners. This so-called pistol stabilizer brace issue um, being first and foremost in, in that category. At the same time, when, when he did talk about these uh, community violence intervention, intervention efforts, hey, so be it. I, you know, if we're going to go to communities and we're going to try to prevent people from becoming criminals and, and with preventive measures because we're going into the communities to try to steer people in a better direction, I have no problem with that. That's frankly where I think our efforts ought to be directed as opposed to simply going after law-abiding gun owners. Talking to Guy Relford. He is the gun guy. You can find more about him at the 2A Project, the number two letter A project uh, dot com. You and I agree on certain certain parts of, of this for sure. And the idea, the, ne- the necessity and the importance of training, helping people get trained. You're you are a certified trainer. You train people all across the state. You train law enforcement. Uh, you do these kinds of things in firearms. But as a lawyer, you get to see both sides of it and you have done dealt with uh, to, to levels of extensiveness, the issue of red flag laws. Now, I was somebody who favored red flag laws until I saw how they got treated in places like Florida by, by law enforcement and said, well, I no longer favor this if they're going to be used as tools to take away the rights of people as opposed to dealing with people who have an issue and are in need of being adjudicated mentally unfit. So when when Joe Biden says he wants the Department of Justice to set up a sample, a standard, a boilerplate of what a red flag law could look like so other states can go about providing them, um, where are you with red flag laws and what it is that uh, Joe Biden is discussing. And the follow-up is, is it incumbent on family members to try and get somebody adjudicated mentally unfit, have a judge say, yes, you're unfit, and have your Second Amendment rights taken away? Or is it something that you try to do to the best of your ability, but people still have their rights? Well, it's a fabulous question. And and look, if, if, if somebody's walking down my street in my neighborhood and he's um, – you know, naked except for a diaper on his head, and he's carrying an AK-47, and he's ranting about being the Archangel Gabriel back to reclaim souls. You know, I don't have a problem with the idea of law enforcement, you know, separating him from his firearm while they figure out how he might get some help uh, for whatever issue that's causing that kind of behavior. So. I understand at a at a philosophical level why um, we have red flag laws. The the issue with me has always been due process, because keep in mind with a red flag law, this is this is applied to people who have committed no crime. If I've committed a crime, then there's there's no problem separating me from my firearm at the time I'm arrested. Um, but this is about people who haven't committed any crime, but are believed to be quote-unquote dangerous 
Now, I went through a long process here in Indiana where I fought very, very hard to change the definition of dangerous in Indiana because it was absurd. It, it actually included somebody that may become a danger in the future, may in the future. It was ridiculous, and it was allowed to exist like that for a long time. And I finally, in 2019, was successful in the legislature in fighting for an amendment to, to narrow that dramatically down. So they can be misapplied. They can be misapplied. Um, I, I recently uh, tried a case, a red flag case, where um, a police officer who simply had a disability, he had PT, PTSD because of some horrible things that had happened to him as a police officer. His, his, his chief was upset that he filed a disability claim, so his chief red flagged him, started a red flag proceeding to take his guns away, even though there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever that he was dangerous. So they can be used uh, as a retaliatory measure. I've seen vindictive ex-spouses uh, have their, their exes uh, red flagged. Um, and, and so to me, it's all about due process. It's about the ability uh, to, to litigate that issue, to be represented by counsel, to present your own evidence, and not just have a baseless allegation cause you to lose your Second Amendment rights. Um, and, and in addition, there, there are some restrictions that need to be built into them, like uh, for instance, here in, in our, our statute in Indiana, um, we built in a requirement that there has to be a hearing within 14 days unless the, the, the respondent, the person whose guns were seized, asked for more time. The state has to have that hearing right away. Why? Because someone's being deprived of their constitutional freedom. That's all about due process. So they can be abused. They can be written horribly. Ours was written very badly. Um, you know, we, we've had one since 2005, rather, here in Indiana. Um, so we were the second state in the country to have one. So this model uh, red flag law being uh, asked for by Biden means uh, little to us here. But for any state where they don't already have one, um, to the extent this is going to be motivation or some incentive um, to, to go in that direction, uh, I'll be very interested in what that model statute looks like because, um, if it doesn't have those basic due process protections, then it'll be a real bad idea. Before I let you go, uh, Guy Ralford, uh, the 2aproject.com, you had worked tirelessly to try and get constitutional carry here in the state of Indiana. Not You don't have to actually have to go about getting uh, the, the, the permit here to license to carry a handgun. The state is silent on the idea of concealed carry. The state of Iowa just went constitutional carry. But Indiana, which has a Republican supermajority in its Senate and its House, let the bill die uh, in the Senate, I believe it is. The question is, how pissed are you? Uh, I, I'm I'm beside myself. You know, I'm I'm getting pretty old. I, I've been both a litigator and very active uh, in the political process for a long time. It, it doesn't take, um, you know, it, it, it's not easy for me to to get emotionally involved. But but the way we were stabbed in the back this year in Indiana by the leaders in the Senate, where we had a bill that passed. 35, 65 rather, to 31, 65 to 31 in the House. Good bill. Goes over to the Senate, which has a Republican majority. Get this, 39 to 11. 39 to 11. And, and who are we fighting in the Senate? Not the 11 Democrats. We're fighting the 39 Republicans who don't have the, 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 the will or the courage to stand up to the anti-gun crowd and pass a good bill. This merely says... That a law-abiding citizen, it's not for criminals, doesn't apply to criminals, a law-abiding citizen who can legally carry a gun doesn't have to go to the government and beg permission to exercise a right they already have. 
That's all it says. And, and pay a fee to buy back from the government a constitutional freedom they already have. And the 39 Republicans in the Senate met in a secret vote, in a secret meeting behind closed doors in caucus. So their, their voters, their constituents have no idea how they voted, and they voted to kill it. They voted to kill it. And get this, the bill had 21 co-sponsors in the Senate. That's a majority of the Republicans in the Senate, yet they still voted in secret to kill it. So by definition, you had some two-faced SOB who co-sponsored it and is going to brag about co-sponsoring it back to his constituents during his next primary election, but voted to kill it in a private secret meeting behind closed doors. That's despicable. That's everything that's wrong with politics, and it's everything that's wrong with Republicans in this state. And I, I'm, I've had it. I'm, I'm, I'm aggressive. I'm going after him. That's why I formed the 2A Project. And there's going to be accountability. His name is Guy Relford. He's available for children's parties. So check him out. Uh, Guy, man, I'm with you, and I I know you're bothered by it. And people are watching this stuff uh, all over the country and seeing here you have the ability to do these things, and people fold and they cave, and for reasons that are irrational. That's the story of what just took place in Indiana. Guy Relford, the 2aproject.com. Check it out for yourself. Guy, always a pleasure. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. With everything going on, let's not forget that the border is still a disaster. Children are suffering, and it's Joe Biden's fault. Tony Katz, great to be with you on Tony Katz today. Border agents took more than 172,000 people into custody in March. 172,000, and it included 18,890 unaccompanied minors. You take a look at the data. Available in graph form. And what does the data show you? That the numbers are off the charts. Off the charts. 2019, in the month of May, 147,000? 144,000 people were uh, taken into custody. So we have just beaten the daylights out of records. You know what the Biden White House has been saying? The Biden White House has been saying this is a usual annual migration surge at the border. No big deal. This is all just normal. It's not normal. No, part of it is normal. Take a look at the charts. In 2020, in March... Uh, It was 34,460. In 2019, it was 103,000. So we had brought things down quite a bit. Now, didn't we? Now, didn't we? And the numbers between 2019 and 2020 continued to fall. And then we saw in some summer months, some things crept up. The Biden White House is, of course, lying to all of us. And Jen Psaki lies for a living. Don't tell me about Kelly McEnany. Don't tell me about Donald Trump. Joe Biden is the president. Jen Psaki is the White House press secretary. And those two are lying every single day from the White House. If lying is wrong, then lying is wrong. 
the border is still an issue. And it is issue number one. And it is Biden who has made it so. But thank goodness we don't have anybody doing mean tweets. Am I right? Yeah, I, I didn't think so. I'm Tony Katz.